Hello and welcome back to the Agents of Change and Environmental Justice podcast, brought to you by the George Washington Milken Institute School of Public Health and Environmental Health News at ehn.org. I'm your host, Brian Binkowski, Senior Editor at Environmental Health News and the Editor of Agents of Change. I hope everyone is staying cool out there, especially in those places that are suffering from these heat waves. I hope everyone has taken time for the beach, for books, for bikes, for beers, however it is that you like to relax. Let's all remember the importance of self-care and time spent doing some fun stuff. Can't just stare at screens all the time. Okay, let me hop off the soapbox and remind you all that this podcast takes time and resources and we are so grateful for the support we receive. Today I'd like to highlight one of our supporters, Rachel's Network, which is a community of women at the intersection of environmental advocacy, philanthropy, and leadership. You can find out more at rachelsnetwork.org. And check out the agent's most recent essay, along with its companion podcast. This one comes from Abrania Marrero. My island does not want to be resilient, we want a reclamation. You can find both at ehn.org under our special projects tab. Alrighty, this week the mic is turned around on me. That's right, my colleague and founder of this program, Dr. Ami Zoda, takes the reins and interviews me. This podcast has now featured all of our second cohorts, so we thought it was a great time to take a look back and a peek forward. We talk a bit about environmental justice reporting, my career, but mostly we talk about how this podcast came together, some highlights and top moments so far, and how we plan to grow. It was a really fun opportunity to self-reflect a bit about this program and what it has meant to me personally and professionally. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. Um, I am excited to be the host of today's podcast episode um, where we get to put our regular host, Brian Bienkowski, in the hot seat. Um, So Brian is a senior editor at Environmental Health News, and he is also the lead editor of the Agents of Change and Environmental Justice program. And you may know his voice quite well because he is the lead producer and host of our podcast. And so we decided to do something different today. And um, I'm going to interview Brian for a change. Hi, Brian. How are you? I am doing wonderful today. How are you doing? Doing well. It is very hot here in Washington, D.C. Where are you recording from today? Where are you? So I live in Michigan's Upper Peninsula on the eastern half of the Upper Peninsula, so just south of a town called Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. Um, It's actually the third oldest city in the U.S. So it is a um, a tribal community. The Sault Ste. Marie tribe of Chippewa Indians uh, live here and have a, a large presence. So it's pretty interesting historically. And yeah, I live on the St. Mary's River, just south of Lake Superior. Sounds beautiful. How how long have you you lived in that community? So I have been here for, let's see, six years, just shy of six years we moved up here. And I lived lived all over before, but mostly in much larger cities than where I'm at now. Mm. And um, are you experiencing a heat wave like much of the rest of the country right now? Luckily, the Upper Peninsula is a one of the coldest regions in the country. So our summers are, other than the black flies and the mosquitoes, it is beautiful up here. We get some humidity and all that, but it is rare for us to, to get above 80. So it's it's pretty pleasant. That's great. Um, so how, how long have you practiced journalism? 
Can you tell us a little so, bit about your background? Of course. So I was uh, I went to the Michigan State University's Knight Center for Environmental Journalism. I got my master's degree about a decade ago. So I had a very specific interest and focus on reporting on the environment. So it's been about a decade and it started really falling in love with the Great Lakes. I grew up in Michigan and it was just feeling every time I reached a Great Lake, went over a dune or or, or visited a, a lake. And I still get this even, even living up here uh, near Lake Superior, just a sense of awe, the really, really feeling the sense of awe and, and wonder like I'm sure people do with mountains and the oceans. But for me, it was these big freshwater lakes. And I, I realized when I was older that they were not as big and uh, um, they were vulnerable, essentially. When I was little, they just felt like these big behemoth lakes that could do no, could have no problems associated with them. And then I started realizing um, how many problems they had. So I started reporting on the Great Lakes and then that led me to, to other types of environmental reporting and really started focusing on people when I got at Environmental Health News. And that was my first job out of my master's program. And I've, and I've never worked anywhere else since. I know you have, even with your job at Environmental Health News, you've always been interested and committed to reporting on issues related to environmental justice. How, how, how did those interests come about? Yeah. So it went from, again, it went from this very Great Lakes kind of biodiversity focus, which I still love. I, I just, I'm a real nature nerd and I, and I love that stuff. But I realized all of these stories, what makes them stronger and what makes them important and what makes them red is, is people, is the human element. So my very first assignment at Environmental Health News, we had, I had a fantastic editor, Marla Cohn, who was a, a mentor and, and taught me so much. And she was in the middle of this project when she hired me called Pollution, Poverty, and People of Color. So it was a whole big environmental justice series focused on different communities across the country from, from Anniston, Alabama, where there's been uh, legacy PCBs, to Richmond, California, the oil refineries. So I was tasked uh, immediately after writing about, basically writing about lakes for, for two years to find an environmental justice story somewhere in the Great Lakes region. So I wrote about a proposed Eagle Rock mine up in just north of Marquette, Michigan, in the Upper Peninsula, that was on sacred indigenous ground um, for the Keweenaw Bay Indian community. So that was my first um, first big feature where I, where I really dove in and talked to a community about um, how this was not only going to maybe contaminate the environment and the natural resources that I had paid attention to for so much, but a culture, um, their, their ability to practice uh, traditional ways and harvest fish and teach language. So it was a, it was a real eye opener in terms of how this environmental pollution can not only pollute uh, the, the water, the air, the soil, but, um, but communities and people and seeing that it was more poignant for this indigenous community of course, went on to, to realize this was not just, of course, uh, for indigenous communities. I reported in Detroit uh, uh, on a lot of the disproportionate impacts on the black community. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And EHN has always had a real environmental justice focus. So um, it just kind of became a, a beat, a beat of mine. Mm. It's uh, always fun to hear how people's careers evolve and, and take them in new and unanticipated directions. Um which brings me to the Agents of Change program. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you've got how you got involved and what the experience has been like? 
Sure. Yeah. Well, of course, we've known each other uh, from afar, never met in person. But uh, I, I, um, I, in addition to environmental justice, I, I write a lot about endocrine disruption and toxics and kind of these insidious chemicals. So you, of course, were a trusted source of mine and one of the researchers that I um, not only respected the work, but you were just top of, of the, you know, quote unquote, Rolodex of somebody that I knew I could count on um, to, to pick up the phone and, and also have, have expertise and really intelligent and um, contextual things to say. So um, when you started talking about this program uh, and, and you brought it to us, um, we, we, we kind of evaluated where we were at as an organization covering environmental justice for years. And then we had this other portion of EHN, which is we really invite scientists to often write op-eds, to write about their expertise, to kind of give us the first hand without a, a, a journalistic filter. And we feel like in pursuit of environmental justice and in a healthier and, and, and more sustainable society, these, these, two, these two buckets that we, we pull our content from, you know, journalists reporting and scientists really giving us a firsthand scientific account, uh, we're getting us to this, to this, to our mission and then when you brought this program to us and we, and we thought about it, um, it just seemed like a perfect melding of those two worlds. So now we have um, scientists who have this expertise on a certain field, but who also can tell uh, uh, tell a story, who've, who've maybe lived through some of these um, uh, problems they're studying or they know community members who have. Um, so it just seemed like a perfect intersection of these two worlds. And really, the it, it has been we've seen an outpouring of, of support for the program. And um, we really feel like it's pushing us closer to our mission than we were before we started. Yeah. And I feel like at this point, I have to mention the name Pete Myers because he, well, he's the founder uh, of Environmental Health News, uh, but he is also a big connector. And it was kind of his light bulb idea when I first shared the early seeds of agents of change that said, you know, contact Douglas and Brian, and he put us in touch. So, uh, um, you know, a nod to Pete Myers. Um, so yeah, and there's, I'm sorry, there, I just wanted to say there's, uh, as I get further in my career, I'm realizing that words like he's a connector, there are these skill sets that people have that they don't teach you in school or, or whatever. And Pete is a connector. Um, and, uh, and I, and I can say this about you having worked with you, and I didn't know this before, you're a leader. And there are these little, there's these skill sets that I, I don't know if people um, are born with them or, you know, you acquire them, but uh, you don't necessarily learn them in school. And you, and it's it's that connection aspect of Pete has been really helpful. And, and working with someone like you, who's a leader, has been really helpful. So, um, yeah. Well, that is, uh, I, I appreciate you saying that. And uh, it is funny because I feel like we've grown this program together and, you know, we've never met in person, which is just rad, right? To, to you know, <laughs> would never have been possible like three years ago. So, um, right. I mean, when I go around and I tell people all about this program, you know, I am so, you know, kind of from the start, um, very humble in the fact that, there's no way me as an academic scientist alone could have, uh, you know, grown this program and made it so successful. I think it's really this combination of the kind of science and the journalism, you know, collectively centering equity. 
Um, so, you know, it, I, I think it just shows you the power of collaborating with people kind of outside of your, the way you think and the, and the power of that. And, um, I, I hope our program can help encourage people to do that more. Yeah. And um, why not? And why not? You know, so for years, I mentioned you were a source. It was this kind of at arm's length, um, someone I called when I needed quotes and context. Right. Uh, but throughout all that, and this isn't just you, a lot of, of researchers I talk to, we have a shared goal, right? We're trying to get at truth. We're trying to get at equity. We're trying to get at a less polluted world. I mean, we have all these goals and really science and journalism have a lot of overlap. We're, we're on a kind of truth finding mission and we're, we're trying to get that information out. So why not collaborate, right? Why not? It, it, it seems like a no brainer and I'm glad um, that we are where we are. Yeah, I think a lot of scientists are afraid um, they're, you know, they're afraid of the media. I think it's a landscape they're not familiar with. I think it's a landscape where they feel like they don't have control of the message. Um, and, you know, and so I think they, and they, they're, they don't, they don't get the training on how to, um, you know, to, to translate their work to different audiences. And so I, I think a lot of people just, you know, kind of have these, like, I won't do it. I, I won't go there. And and what I've learned over time is, you know, the media is your biggest megaphone. And, um, you know, if, if journalists understand these issues well, it's, it's a big service to the entire field because they, you know, they are the gatekeepers to so much information. And so it's um, it, it's it's a worthwhile endeavor to to engage with at least some journalists, if not necessarily all. But um, sp- I mean, speaking of journalism, I um, you know I want to kind of take a thread that you said about kind of pushing the mission of this how this program Agents of Change has helped push the mission of environmental health news and. And kind of um, explore that a little bit. So in in Agents of Change, we we talk a lot about increasing diversity inclusion in science um, and academia, but media also has a racism problem. Um, Do you you see media differently because of of your involvement with um, Agents of Change? Yeah, I don't know if it's differently. I think what the program has done has shined a spotlight on some of the things that I saw before. I mean, so my, you know, I was interested in a lot of these issues before and and thinking about diversity in journalism and science. And I think what it's done is kind of magnified them for me. The number one thing that I've noticed with the program uh, and just thinking about it and talking to these folks who are just really excellent people, and this isn't just a plug for agents of change. I mean, they are so, in, so intelligent and have done so many things is how the reliance on so few voices in the media, you know, I could go right now to Twitter or, or wherever Google news and the top three or four climate stories, I could probably tell you who's going to be quoted in at least a couple of them. And it's not to say that those climate scientists aren't fantastic and maybe they've made it their, their career goal to be the go-to person. Um, and I won't name names because they are, they're, they're excellent scientists, but there are so many other voices out there. Um, and I think it's, and, and I think that's a problem on the media side. Uh, and I, and I would like to at least acknowledge the fact that journalists are often working on short deadlines. Um, and, and they know just like you were somebody I knew I could call 
when we find somebody who will talk to us and they pick up the phone and they have good things to say, we use them. So I think it's just a function of the news cycle, part of it. Uh, part of it's a blind spot. Um, so th- so there's many reasons, but that's one thing That's one thing I've really noticed with the program. Um, Another thing, and again, this isn't this isn't new to me, but it's really shined a light on the idea of how much how much work we have to do. I I know, you know, Yoshi, for example, mentioned she was the first Latina woman to graduate from her Ph.D. program. And um, Reagan Patterson said she was the first black woman to give a commencement speech. I mean, these these to me are crazy things to hear uh, in, in 2021. Of course. Perhaps I shouldn't be surprised, but um, to, to hear it from multiple um, multiple fellows, the idea that they're the first um, of their race or their um, sexual orientation or whatever to go through a program is 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 baffling. Um, and I think it speaks to the need to elevate these voices and uh, and push for diversity in these programs. So that is a thing of the past <laughs> that's not mentioned anymore. It seems uh, it seems archaic. Um yeah. And, and, you know, there's been a couple themes that have kind of threads that have gone throughout um, too. And, and this isn't so much uh, how I think about the media, but uh, I think most of them have kind of expressed uh, there's a lot of hope. I think uh, I've gotten a lot of hope and the sense of a lot of opportunity. When I think about the field of environmental health, it seems like um, if you had asked me five years ago, I mean, it's it's improving, but, you know, what else can we do? We can find toxics in people. We can find the climate is warming this much and we can tell them about that and use this to push for policy. And, and you know, that's what science is. It, it, it's it, it's an institution that is that is is kind of firm in where it's at. And talking to the fellows, it seems like, well, no, there's a hell of a lot more we can do. There's there's a lot more we can push here. Um, and a lot of it a lot of their suggestions have to do with really involving the community and making sure the science is focused on helping the people that you're studying. Um, and they've opened my eyes to a lot of blind spots and, and um, missed opportunities in the field so far. So I, I get a lot of hope um, in talking to them about where we can, where, where the field can go from here. I agree. Um, they're, they, they give me a lot of hope and, uh, you know, I, I feel like this program is it's it's value added. Right. It's re- I feel like we're really creating a lot of value in the world by, um, you know, helping the fellows cultivate these ideas and then importantly, giving them the platform to do that. Right. And, and improving their skill set in 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 talking about their b- big ideas in simple, accessible ways. Um, so uh, lots of value added. Um yeah. And there's something to be said for, you know, I, I think, you know, diversity has become, God, it, it's become a buzzword, right? It's, it's, it's everywhere now, but the, it, the, the value isn't, Hey, let's get people who look different or whatever. I mean, the value, when you talk to folks, uh, you know, Dana comes to mind, Dana grew up, uh, you know, where I'm from, she grew up in Detroit and where she grew up to where she's at now, you can see the thread of of where those experiences in Detroit brought her to be able to kind of really examine where environmental justice programs are working and where they're not. So it's not it's not just let's be diverse. It's this diversity of thought, this diversity of experience um, um, coming from these places where a lot of people in academia don't come from is it totally adds value. It makes the field better. Um, and that's, that's become really obvious to me too. 
Absolutely. Giving them the chance to really express themselves in, and cultivate this authentic voice. Right. So, right. Just be like the, you know, just because someone's brown and in academia doesn't necessarily, you know, that that's not the point. It's it's kind of, you know, trying to expand journalism and scientific institutions to uh, be more accepting um, and open to to these new ideas, um, which you know what we're showing is the these new ideas, right? That will help us get out of the social environmental crises are directly linked to people's li- lived experience. Um, and you know, one thing, the one way I think about this program, I recently heard this is you know. We we don't want we don't want we don't just want a seat at the table. We want to create a whole new table, right? Um, so uh, so right. So, th- so thanks for sharing some of the things you've learned from the programs and fellows. Um, now I want to talk about the podcast. Um, something you know, this was your idea, and you've taken it from an idea to you know um, you know a a great success. Um, a lot of people say the, the favorite part of their program is our podcast. Um, um, can you tell us a little bit about that process and the journey? Sure. Yeah. So I'd never done this. I, I've never done much audio. I've, I've, I know some audio editing only from playing music, but not from any kind of podcast or, or, or uh, interviewing like that. So it was all uh, learning on the fly and learning how to do this. And, um, you know, you know, basically we, we just plugged in and started talking to folks. That was that was how we got going. Um, we are lucky to have a little bit of. I, I had some time with the fellows, the first ones that I interviewed, which is which is really helpful because to try to interview someone without any background is is obviously um, you just can't do that. Um, so just a lot of background research and uh, and spending time trying to get to know them beforehand, and then you know, really taking a two-pronged approach, getting to know the, the research, of course, the research and what, what makes them tick, why they study what they study. But as much as I possibly can, I want to get to know people as people. And I, and I would imagine that is why it's one of our more popular aspects of the program is humans are interested in other humans. It's just a thing. It's, it's, it, it, it is why um, NPR is so wildly successful. <laughs> you know, some of those very story-driven programs. We just like hearing people's voice and their story. And so I think it's evolved a little bit where I am really trying to get at the person um, as much as I possibly can um, and, and why they do what they do and why this is important to them. Because I think that's um, that's where that's where you can really connect with people. I think the research is um, the broccoli and the, and the human aspect is the steak on the plate, you know, so to speak. So, yeah. And, and we've, you know, we've, we've made little changes like sending people microphones, you know, trying to get our auto audio quality better. Um, but, but really it was just plug in and start talking. Uh, and, and yeah, it's been, a, it's been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot. Can you, you know, think back to, I think we recorded the first episode last fall and um, I think Ons was your, the first fellow you interviewed. Um, and now I think we're on episode 15 or so, you know, what's changed? I, I think naturally um, myself, I, I was rigid. I, I think there's a, there's just a comfort with doing something. There's something to be said for repetitions. 
So I think uh, I I've I've been more comfortable, and I think that makes the the the, the whole Q and A, the podcast with fellows. I think it makes it a more comfortable experience. I think, um, and, and that's just that's just the nature of trying something new. Uh, again, I, I think I've I've tried to shift it to talk about uh, the the person more and and less about kind of ticking off the the research. So I think that's been a minor change. Um, but yeah, I mean the format hasn't changed all that much. It's it's those are those would probably be the two main things. And um, you know, as I said, we you know we we're, we're now on a somewhere around you know episode fifteen or seventeen. Um, any memorable moments from, from, from the first season? Yeah, for sure. There's a couple that stand out. Um, and this will probably be a very self-centered view of the moments that they, why they stood out to me. But well, the first one that comes to mind is, um, uh, Ori Badaki talking about, you know, I asked her about, she, uh, she does African dance and asking her about the role of dance in her life really, which again is getting at the person and not just the research, but she, you know, she has just has a really beautiful way of, of speaking and to begin with, but she talked about how she will just stop her work and get up to dance and move around. Uh, and I could so relate because I literally take breaks and turn off slack and go play music. And it's just this way of kind of, you know, tickling that other side of your brain, um, and feeling creative and, and, um, so, so that was a moment that really stood out. And, you know, she mentioned this quote and I, I should have written the quote down. It was from a, I think it was from an indigenous elder or um, maybe it was a proverb, but something to the effect of you are more than your mind. Um, you know, you are your mm-hmm. body or something like that. And especially having been a, a graduate student and knowing that a lot of these folks are either PhDs or postdoctoral students, that's a hard thing to remember sometimes because we are so judged on our output and our work and how much, how fast we can spit out ideas. And, um, and we are also our body and it's important to take care of that. So I really like that. Another moment was uh, Abrania describing her passion for food and nutrition. And she gave these really vivid descriptions of sitting at the dinner table with her mother and her grandmother in Puerto Rico. And it reminded me of, uh, of, of, of my mother and grandmother of sitting with them. And I am from a far place from Puerto Rico, you know, this was Detroit. So um, just that, just having that kind of shared connection and the way she talked about, you know, again, that's the reason she studies food now is this very personal these family moments growing up. And to me, that's just, that's just excellent to hear that. That's very cool. Um, I got a couple more talking to Ans. You mentioned Ans. So he had, uh, he talked about working in a, I, I should have looked this up too, but again, I think it was a, a Pakistani medical facility for trans women, uh, I believe. And he said how much it meant to them when he gave them a hug. <laughs> I could probably cry now. I know I teared up at the time, but just thinking about uh, you know someone working in a in a in a place like that where maybe um, there's a lot of you know transphobia or homophobia, and having someone like Ans, who again I've never met in person, but I've uh, spent a lot of time on Zoom with, he is just a he is such a caring caring person, uh, and to, and I, I don't know, and to think about him bringing that to a medical facility and these people uh, finally having uh, someone to care for them was really touching. 
And then there's an upcoming moment that I won't spoil with uh, Mizung Chu, um, where we talk about some of the reasons she got into research, which I think is the most touching moment I've had so far on the podcast. So you'll have to stay tuned for that one. Wow, that's like quite a cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> a little advertising there. Yeah. Um, well, those are those are really beautiful moments, and um, you know, it just really shows that um, this is so much more than a job for you, right? Just like your level of commitment to this program, and um, the ways that you have connected with these fellows um, in, in really helping to, to, you know, kind of um, to cultivate and bring out that authentic voice um, is, is, you know, is really so much of why this program um, has been a, has been a success. And I I just wanted to share that. I think one thing that um, I've seen, um, obviously I'm an avid listener to the podcast and um, um, you know, really kind of, really enjoy each episode, but I think, um, I just see the way you, you, uh, try to, try to prioritize making connections with the fellows, even though you're from, you know, you're a white male and you're from a very different social experience, like kind of pulling up those commonalities and, um, and kind of just, just the way that you connect to them human to human, you know, comes through in that podcast and kind of, I think makes it transition, you know, more like it, so it feels less of an interview and and more of a of an actual conversation, which is what I think people really, really enjoy. Um, and um, and you know, it, it's also fun to when they kind of get slightly caught off guard by uh, by some of the questions as well. So, um, so any things that you want to do differently in season two of the podcast? Yeah, I'd like to stumble on my words less. Uh, that's one thing. I'd like to reach. I'd like to reach more people. I, I think from kind of a content perspective, we've had a couple episodes where we've talked to uh, Dr. Tucker Seeley, Dr. Reginald Tucker Seeley, Dr. Vina Singla, um, who who came and spoke to the fellows. And these are folks who are at the NRDC. And um, where is Dr. Seeley at? Is he at USC? That's right. Yeah. At USC. So so they're not fellows, but uh, you know, very similar kind of. Um, focused in their research and their work. And, and I think bringing in more of the voices like that uh, would be very cool because um, they're out there. There's a lot of people doing this work that that didn't go through the program or didn't have a program like this who, who are really kind of trailblazers. So I'd love to talk to more folks like that. Um, and again, yeah, I'd like to reach more people. I think um, I think these fellows and their ideas and their words are something that needs to to, to be out there. So the uh, you know, I think the number one goal is to get this into more people's ears. Um, and I also thought one uh, another fun format was when we had uh, Dr. Shauna Swan and our, one of our fellows, Annie Huang. Um, you know, that ra- that roundtable format um, was, I thought, really interesting and seemed to be really well received, um, you know, out there in the Twitterverse and in, in the you know, both within the AOC community, but also the scientific community. So I think there's a lot of other ways we can, um, you know, experiment with who we bring on and what form, what format. Yeah, totally. And and as you know, uh, you know, Dr. Swan is a, she's been at it for a while and uh, having kind of a a veteran voice and then, you know, a, a very exciting young researcher. And then, uh, and then, you know, you moderating, it was, it was, 
it was great. Yeah, I, I think that idea of of, of bringing on a, a fellow and and maybe someone outside of the fellowship, you know, outside or outside of the program, um, is very cool. It's very cool to get all those ideas rolling around in a podcast. So um, I totally agree. Um, what was I going to say? Yes. Okay. So on to uh, our second to last, um, our second to last topic. I want to kind of turn to um, science communication and social media more broadly. Um, so one thing we try to do is, you know, I kind of increasingly, I think one goal of this program is is to kind of provide training and insights to kind of early career researchers um, more generally, not just those that um, are fellows in our program because, you know, we can only train so many people and um, it was a competitive process. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, um, what tips do you have for junior science communicators or early career folks um, on how to prepare for being a guest on a podcast? Can you, well, you know, share maybe a top five or top seven tips or something like that? Sure. Well, you know, I love preparation, um, which is which is for the listeners a joke. I am not a good preparer. Um, but uh, I, I think the number one tip is to prepare, to think through your answers in advance. You know, if you can if you can talk to a host about they may not want to give you the actual questions, but um, they'll they'll certainly should give you topics and just go into it with uh, your mind wrapped around a little bit what you'd like to talk about. I think that's a really important one. Um, be yourself. I think people want to uh, sound like Ira Glass or <laughs> want to, you know, sometimes just want to um, maybe hide parts of themselves. I think the, the best podcasts are the ones where people are loose and um, kind of talking freely about themselves and their ideas. And um, that's easier said than done, but I think that's really, um, that's really helpful. Um, Let's see. Listen, listen to the podcast you're going on. They they usually have ours has a very you know particular format where um, even even kind of the trajectory of the questions is often is often very similar. So if you can listen to the podcast you're going on beforehand, you can get a feel for the host and their rhythm and the types of questions they ask. So I think that's really helpful. Um promote yourself. I mean, this is an opportunity as a scientist that you don't get a lot, which is to, to make it about you and your work and why it's important in your lab and, and all the hard work that got you here. So um, I wouldn't shy away from that and use it as a, use it as a platform to really um, to promote what you're working on and, and why it's important. Uh, let's see, I can, I'll give you one more. Um, You know, I would, this is kind of just a conversational thing, but I would, uh, you know, be mindful of, uh, of, of pauses and, and don't jump in in the middle of a question. <laughs> Things like that, I think, are very helpful. And, uh, and, and be conversational. So in, in kind of taking visual cues, if you're on video or something, um, you know, try to, try to make it not sound like a Q&A um, or, or some kind of a, uh, job interview format. You know, the more you can make it sound like a conversation, you're laughing and reacting. Uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, people connect with that a little better. Great tips. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I, and separately, at some point, I'll have to get your top 10 hits on um, 
how to be a good podcast host because you make it seem so easy and <laughs> I actually find it to be a bit nerve wracking, but um, I'm getting better, getting better. Um, so um, I will ask you the last question that um, is, is kind of your favorite question to end with. And that is uh, what are you reading right now? And um, for fun and, and um, yeah. And if you could talk about the books that you're reading right now. Yes. So I just got done with a book called Major Taylor, which is uh, so uh, I, unlike most of the, the fellows who say they have no time for fun reading, all I do is read for fun. I don't read anything about <laughs> endocrine disruption in my spare time. I don't even really read about the environment. I read about uh, bicycling and uh, and fly fishing usually. So uh, Major Taylor was a uh, a black bicycle racer in the early 1900s and was probably the first uh, black sports superstar. And um, I heard about Major Taylor because last year during the protests, um, I listened to a lot of cycling podcasts and they kept having people on that were part of these Major Taylor um, bicycling clubs where you ride together. And I was like, who the hell is this? Why is everybody using the same name? You know, New York City has a major Taylor club and, and Houston and Atlanta. And um, so I backtracked and found this found this excellent book on Major Taylor, who was just, uh, he was an international superstar at a time when being a black man in America was uh, perilous to say the least. And uh, his story was really inspiring. And right now, I actually just started reading an older book. It's called The Trip to Echo Spring. And it is about um, alcoholic writers. It's about how alcoholism has plagued a lot of um, America's best writers. I think it's focused on mostly men. Um, uh, it's a woman, Olivia Lang, who wrote it. And it's been out a few years, but I've been wanting to read it. I'm a big Hemingway fan coming from um, Michigan and, and being a big fan of short sentences. I, I love Hemingway and he's featured in it. So I just started that and it's... Uh, it's about as upbeat as you would imagine it would be. Yes. Uh, well, those are uh, fascinating topics. And um, I, th I think at some point what I want to do is make a list of all the books people have mentioned. And, um, you know, because we've, we've just it's been such a diverse list and um, and, you know, so many great suggestions and so many things to learn about. So uh, thanks for sharing that and um, enjoy reading those this summer. So I think, uh, is there anything else you want to say, Brian? No, that is all I want to say. I, I really appreciate you having me. Um, it's nice to have the microphone turned on me and uh, looking forward to the next season of podcast. I am too. Thanks for, thanks for doing this and um, being willing to put yourself in the hot seat and um, for everything that you do to kind of, for the agents of change in environmental justice community. We, we appreciate it. And right back to you. You have a great day. All right. That is all for this week, folks. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. It is always a pleasure to catch up with Ami. She's a dear friend. But I am looking forward to being on the other side of the interview next time I'm here. To donate to the Agents of Change program, go to ehn.org and click the big orange donate button. You can also find Agents of Change on Twitter and Instagram, and please follow us on Spotify, iTunes, or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast, where you can listen to this and all past episodes. The Agents of Change podcast is written, recorded, and edited by me with outreach, scheduling, and support from the rest of the team, Dr. Ami Zoda, Summer Ahmad, Gwen Raniger, Aaron Gomez, and Hannah Seo. 
We'd like to hear from you. Email us at agentsofchangeneh at gmail.com with suggestions for the show, questions for the fellows, reviews, or just to chat. And sign up for our monthly Agents of Change newsletter at the program homepage, agentsofchangeneh.com. Thanks for joining us. We hope to keep these important conversations on diversity in science and health going. Join me next time when I speak with former Agents Fellow Mizung Chu, a postdoctoral scientist in Dr. Amizoda's Arise EJ research team at GWU within Department of Environmental and Occupational Health. Have a great week, folks.